Welcome to Keystone Education Radio, the podcast for all things focused on education in Pennsylvania. Now here's your host, Nathan Maines. PSBA, in partnership with several other major education organizations across the state, recently released a first-of-its-kind State of Education report. Partners include the Pennsylvania Association of Intermediate Units, PAIU, the Pennsylvania Association of Career and Tech Administrators, PACTA, Pennsylvania Principals Association, and the Pennsylvania Association of School Administrators, PASA. With us today is Andy Christ. He's PSBA's Education Policy Analyst, and he was the one charged with gathering the data and putting it into this much more digestible format. Andy, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Nathan. So when, when we look back at the start of this project, talk a little bit about the, the impetus for creating the report and all of the different sources that you ended up tapping uh, to pull together the data. Well, a common question out there and source of debate is, how are public schools doing? And we wanted to do something to try and answer that question. But we can't answer that question just by looking at test scores and what schools are spending their money on. We also needed to look at the challenges schools are facing and how they're dealing with those challenges because they provide much needed context. And unless we look at the impact these challenges are having, we can't get a good sense of how public schools are really doing. Data in the report came from three major places. First was a survey we did of all chief school administrators at school districts, CTCs, and IUs. Second was all of the publicly available state and federal education information that's out there. And third, the public perception information came from an online survey of Pennsylvania residents. So there's, when you talk about those sources, a lot of information. The report runs uh, 70 plus pages. uh, And you, you talk about the challenges that schools are facing. Uh, thinking back on kind of the summary that I know you, you constructed and all the data, uh, what would you identify as the, the biggest challenges uh, in putting this report together and the biggest challenges for districts? Well, this was the first time we've ever tried to put something like this together, especially something this comprehensive and voluminous, as you mentioned. So we were starting from square one with everything. Um, and there was so much information that the hardest part was really trying to figure out what pieces to use and then how to put all the pieces together in a report that was you know, digestible for people. Um, some of the biggest challenges, uh, the biggest challenge out there identified was definitely the budget pressures and funding. <clears throat> and that was a pretty consistent challenge no matter which area of the state we were looking at. But they all had different reasons for those budget pressures and different ways they were responding to them. So even though there were some similarities, there were a lot of differences as well. Sure. So the report, uh, as, as you sort out the data, uh, separates it by rural, urban, and suburban school districts in, in a lot of the places. Uh, talk to me a little bit about uh, how you made those uh, classifications, what went into that, and can you give some, some examples of the differences and similarities that the data showed between those three uh, different groups? Yeah, Pennsylvania is a very diverse state, and one thing we know from traveling around and hearing from our members is that different areas have different challenges. So we wanted to try to explore that in this report. And you can look at almost any chart or table in the report and see some of the differences between the groups. Uh, For example, the teacher shortage is something that's a problem statewide, but our urban school districts reported, well, one third of them reported teacher recruitment as one of their biggest challenges in the coming year, as opposed to only seven or 8% of their suburban and rural counterparts. Another good example was that 12% of suburban school districts 
reported increasing enrollment as one of their biggest challenges. However, 18% of rural school districts said that declining enrollment was one of their biggest challenges. So even within those groups, there's two polar opposites. One's having a problem with increasing enrollment, and one's having a problem with decreasing enrollment. A couple others were that urban school districts are being forced to spend around 16% of their budgets on charter tuition payments. And that's compared to only two or two and a half percent for the rural and suburban school districts. And suburban school districts are getting almost 70% of their revenue from local sources. And that's compared to only 40, 45% for the other school districts. The, the school district types are really broken down by some information we have based on community types. Okay. Um, and a listing of which school districts fall in which type is included at the end of the report. So if someone's curious as to where their school district falls, they can always check the end of the report. So, and it strikes me as, as we went through the process of building this and now looking at it, um, I don't recall seeing in, in at least any real public uh, document uh, all of the districts laid out the way that, that you pulled the information together. Uh, it's really, even if you just look at the, the back of the report, uh, really probably one of the first kind of uh, comprehensive collections and categorization of districts along with some of the basic data. So I think that's probably been, been very useful for folks, even if you ignore the, the yearly data, just having that kind of permanent list. Would right, you yeah, and I hope so. And even within some school districts, I think there, there might be some uh, suburban areas and then some rural sure. areas. So sure. there might be some overlap as, there as well. Bound to happen. Mm -hmm. You know, the things that you listed when you talk about charter school tuition payments, when you talk about uh, state funding, and, and you mentioned the 70% the, uh, coming from, from local property taxes in suburban districts, uh, a lot of, of challenges, a lot of concerns um, listed in the report, but there are some positives right. as well. I mean, talk a little bit about the good news, I think, that comes out of this report. Yeah, I think the biggest positive takeaway is how Pennsylvania is stacking up when we look nationally. Even though Pennsylvania is spending a little more per student than the national average, I think that's turning out to be a great investment in Pennsylvania's future because our students are performing in or near the top 10 in national assessments on math and reading. But the challenges in the report that we just mentioned, um, they're serious. And at some point, the cuts that schools are making to balance their budgets are going to catch up and start impacting student achievement. So the course we're on is, is pretty unsustainable, okay. but at least for now, it's not having that big of an impact on our students. Makes sense. So you spent several months, you know, uh, among other projects, this was a huge one for you, I know, and you spent it kind of, uh, you know, up to your elbows in uh, all the data and all of the responses to the surveys. Did anything, as you looked at all of the pieces coming together, did anything surprise you or, or you know, you were expecting what you got? No, in, in all my spreadsheets that I had on this, and there were quite a few, believe me, I was actually surprised by the data related to poverty and the, okay. the impact that poverty has on academic performance and other issues. Um, the districts with the highest poverty levels, they're not able to generate as much revenue mm -hmm. as their low poverty counterparts. And that means they don't have the money or resources to try to overcome some of the obstacles that come with high poverty. And what we saw then was a, a big gap in student achievement indicators like test scores, graduation rates, and college bound rates. So I expected there to be some difference, but I didn't really expect it to be so big. Wow, okay. And, and 
a lot of other things like that that probably will take other people by surprise in in this report. Uh, you know, one of the questions that that I've been getting is uh, is this a once and done? Is this a yearly thing? So uh, I guess I'm putting you on the spot. Uh, what's the plan? Well, the goal is to make this an annual project. As much as I hate saying that because <laughs> of how, how much work it is, um, but in future reports we want to try to narrow down to a few key indicators that you know real really provide a good snapshot of how public education is doing. I can't say what those key indicators would be right now. I have no idea. Sure. But these will be the things that are consistent year over year. And then we can sort of measure and give a benchmark whether or not we're improving, uh, whether there's been a decline or something like that in those key indicators. And also some pieces in the report, such as the spotlights on different issues. Uh, I plan on varying those year to year based on you know some timely issues affecting public education. Sure. Um, you know, like the teacher shortage. This year that was and probably next year too, that's going to be a, a big issue. But if something new were to come up, then we would swap out some pieces with some more timely information. And also, I'm sure we'll get some more feedback from members oh, and the public, and, and we'll look at making some changes to the report moving forward. Great. Well, nice job on the report. We're joined by Andy Christ. He's our education policy analyst here at PSBA. Uh, Andy, just a, a fantastic job on the report. It's getting a, a ton of coverage, and uh, I know from talking with members, uh, they're using it already and, and plan on uh, using it even more. So great job. Thank thanks you. For, thanks for joining us. Thanks. PowerSchool is the leading K-12 education technology provider of solutions that improve the education experience for 100 million students, teachers, and parents in over 70 countries around the world. PowerSchool provides the industry's first unified classroom experience, empowering teachers with best-in-class, secure, and compliant online solutions, including student information systems, learning management and classroom collaboration, assessment, analytics, behavior, special education case management, and finance HR ERP. Learn how PowerSchool does all of this and drive student growth. Visit PowerSchool.com. Technology is often used to help with the educational process, but at Carn City Area School District in Butler County, they're doing something just a little different. It's one of the stories that we featured through the Success Starts Here campaign. And while we're at it, I want to encourage everyone to consider submitting their school district to the campaign. We're joined now by Amanda Pivarotto. She's the band director at Carn City High School and two of her students, senior Andrea Undercuffler and junior Sean Klein. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. You know, uh, using iPads in teaching is not new, but I understand at Carn City you're using the technology in a unique way to make students better musicians. How does that work? Every other week, students from Carn City record a short video. They're about 30 seconds long, and we use the coach's eye application. After that, I send the video to a designated music education student at Slippery Rock University. Within the week, the SRU student returns a video with audio commentary on ways that the student can improve their playing. The coach's eye app allows for editing directly on the video as well as the audio, so the SRU students can circle any physical problems that need addressed, such as incorrect hand posture or, or hand position or posture. My students then have some time to make improvements as suggested by the SRU student before recording again. And then at the end of all of the recording exchanges, I take my students to SRU for a day. We actually just visited two days ago on Wednesday. We start our day there with a welcome to SRU by Dr. Malego at Swope Music Hall. We then go to the music therapy room and learn a little bit about music therapy and we experience a drum circle. We then go to Vincent Sci Science Center where we conduct experiments about learning 
um, about the physics of sound, and then the students go on a tour of campus. At the end of the tour, we meet with our SRU students to have lunch at Boozle Dining Hall, and then we conclude our day by hearing one of the ensembles at SRU. Um, this year, we actually got to see the wind ensemble, which was a great experience for my students. So it's really nice to use the technology and then for them to get to meet their actual teachers face-to-face as well. You're using an app that's typically used to improve sports performance. Whose idea was it to use technology for musicians? In the spring of 2015, Dr. Malego, who's one of the music education department staff at SRU, contacted me about ways that we could incorporate teaching in our programs, or incorporate technology, I'm sorry, in our programs, that would mutually benefit our students. At the time, we both applied for grants and refined how we would run the partnership. It was apparent to both of us that if we could find the funds to purchase iPads, then we could really start getting the students involved and benefit both our students and her students as well. I know you're working collaboratively with Slippery Rock University. How did that relationship begin? I actually am an alumni of SRU. I graduated in 2012. Dr. Malego came there, I believe, in 2009. So I've known her for several years through that. Since graduation, we've kept in touch, and whenever I got the job at Carn City High School, we started discussing ways to help my students, since a lot of them don't have the ability to go and take lessons, whether it's financial or a time commitment. So we decided that through technology and using the app, that it would be very easy for her students to gain experience using technology and teaching experience, as well as my students getting a one-on-one instructional time. Turning our attention to Andrea and Sean, what instruments do each of you play? Well, I play, I'm Sean, I play uh, baritone, and I also play clarinet. So it was a good experience for me to get to actually do both of those with the students at SRU. Uh, my name is Andrea, and I play euphonium. Uh, there, uh, it was. I'm actually going to be going to SRU in the fall, so it was nice to be able to kind of connect with the students that are already there. Tell me about your experience uh, using the iPads to improve your musical technique. What improvements specifically have you experienced? Well, we don't normally get any. Like one on, like as Mrs. Piverato may have mentioned, we don't really get any one-on-one time in our high school band class. So it was kind of nice to get the experience to actually have someone look at what we were doing and tell us if we needed to fix anything, needed to improve anything, or just aspects of instrumentation that we never really thought to fix before. I would have to. Uh agree with that as well there was um it the ipads made it easier to like we could look back on our progress and see what we have improved on and see what we need to improve on farther what's it like working with slippery rock students well actually when we went we went to the campus they the person who had coached me, sat down and talked to me about what I would be doing in marching band and how I could incorporate what he had taught me in in that. With the Slippery Rock students, it was actually great to work with them because they're actually there learning everything about, like, teaching music to younger children or just any students in general. And, well, it was 
great to learn from them because, like I said, they were learning it there. So they could just pass it straight on to us as far as, like, constructive criticism and all that. Amanda, last question for you. What advice would you give to others who might want to try this with musical instruction? My advice for other people who would like to try to implement this in their programs as well is to find quality teachers to assess their students' videos. Um, University students are a great way to find those types of people. And then start on a small scale and see what works best for their program. We, as we have established this partnership, we've had to make a few changes. Um, So it takes time to tweak and get everything exactly how you want it. But once the program's established, more and more students will want to take part in the experience. For example, we started out with four students the first semester we did it, and now I just took 16 to SRU the other day. Um, I also think it's important that at the end of the lessons, going back and forth, that students actually meet their in their teacher in person so they also have that personal relationship and actually know who they were talking to. It's kind of a nice experience for the students. Um, so other than that, I think that that's everything that you can do. Just try it and see what happens. My thanks to Amanda and to students Andrea and Sean for joining us on Keystone Education Radio. The views and opinions expressed on the Keystone Education Radio podcast are solely the views and opinions of our guests and do not reflect the views and opinions of the Pennsylvania School Boards Association. Thank you.